I was 13 years old when my family got our first television. Uh, it was actually a TV VCR combo. We didn't have any television channels, uh, and there wasn't a lot of choice of what to watch. We didn't own a lot of movies. And one of the few movies that we did own was the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS. And I loved those movies. To this day, they're some of my favorites. And there's this wonderful scene right at the end of the third, Return of the Jedi. It's right after the Death Star has been destroyed. And there's this great montage scene. It's actually not quite part of the original release. It was only added in the 1997 with the re-release of the trilogy. But there's this montage of a series of scenes from cities on multiple different planets, and there's fireworks going off, and people are filling the streets, and they're dancing, and they're shouting, they're singing, they're all celebrating the death of the emperor and the end of the empire. It's just sort of a mayhem of celebration taking place. And I thought of that scene this week as I was preparing this lesson, because in this session, we're, be we're going to be talking about the subject of praise, what praise is and how it is that the Psalms teach us to praise. Uh, many of you, no doubt, have certain connotations that come to mind when you hear the word praise. Maybe your first thought is a religious one. Maybe you think of people singing and raising their hands in church. Or maybe you think of someone praising another person, a parent who's congratulating their child on a job well done or some achievement. Or maybe more negatively, someone who's praising or flattering their boss in an attempt to curry favor of some kind. Uh, the truth is, Praise isn't just a religious activities. As the Star Wars scenes at the end of Emperor, in Return of the Jedi illustrate, praise is a central and a common part of human experience. As C.S. Lewis once put it, the world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. So yes, praise is common. And this is not surprising because praise, praise is really just the natural, the fitting response to grace and beauty. When we find ourselves confronted with a beauty that we did not create or a blessing that we weren't responsible for, the only appropriate response is one of wonder, celebration, thanksgiving, in short, praise. And that's why you could say praise is really the most natural thing in the world. After all, the Bible tells us that we as human creatures, we didn't make ourselves. We were made and we were placed in this world, originally a garden filled with blessing. So to praise then is simply to respond to re the reality of the world the way it is, to respond to the reality of life as we find it.
in this world in which we were placed. As the, uh, as the Russian Orthodox theologian Alexander Shmeiman once said, God blessed the world, blessed man, blessed the seventh day. He filled all that exists with his love and goodness. So the only natural reaction of man to whom God gave this blessed and sanctified world is to bless God in return, to thank him, to see the world as God sees it. So that's really what praise is. It's seeing the world as God sees it. It's the natural, the fitting response to the grace and the beauty and the goodness with which God blesses us. But you know, even though this is the most natural thing in the world, you could say, we're really often not very good at it. In fact, one of the primary effects of sin, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter one, is that people stop praising God. They stop honoring God and giving thanks as they should. And why is that? Have you ever wondered, why is it that we struggle to do this most natural thing? Why do we so easily, it seems, so effortlessly celebrate things like the victory of our football team or a college graduation, but so rarely express the same excitement about God? Is it because we have a hard time seeing the beauty and the goodness and the gifts of God? Do we just not pay enough attention? Or maybe do we just not know what to say in response? Whatever the reason, most of us could use improvement in our praise. And it's why the Psalter is so important. The Psalms are filled with expressions of praise. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used for this book, the book of Psalms, is tehillim, which just means praises. And many of the Psalms are devoted entirely to praise and to thanksgiving. And even those Psalms that express lament and confusion and fear, even those often end in praise. If you look, you'll notice that the final two books of the Psalms, there are five books of the Psalms, and the final two books, which is Psalm 90 through 150, they're focused almost entirely on praise. And this only seems to increase the further you go. Each of the last five Psalms, in fact, begin and end with the same Hebrew word, hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. There are five songs filled with praise. That's how the Psalter ends. I think this is really instructive. Whoever put together this Psalter, this collection of songs, they obviously thought that praise is not only central to our experience, praise, praise is the end toward which all human life is aiming. That's what the shape of the Psalms teaches us. And so the Psalms can help us learn to praise, not just by giving us words to say, but by teaching us how to see the world correctly, how to pay attention to the presence of grace and beauty in our lives, and how to respond accordingly. Next week, we'll look more closely at one of the Psalms of praise in particular. This week, I'd like to make just two general observations about 
what the Psalms teach us. First, uh, I'd like to make an observation about the context of praise in the Psalms. One of the curious facts about praise in the Psalms is the context in which it occurs. You may have noticed that all the other examples I've given of praise and celebration so far, the, the end of the destruction of the Death Star at the end of the Star Wars trilogy, or the victory at a college football game, or a graduation ceremony, each of these are distinctly positive moments in life. It's why they bring such natural and spontaneous joy. Who doesn't celebrate, after all, when life is good? But that's not actually what we find in the Psalms. Praise and celebration in the Psalms doesn't arise merely in response to moments of good fortune or happy times. In fact, as I already noted, much of the praise you find in the Psalms comes at the end of songs of lament and anger and sorrow and confession. Take Psalm 51, for instance. Verse 15 of Psalm 51 reads like this, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And this is a familiar verse for Anglicans because it's the opening line of the invitation to praise in both morning and evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. But you know what's curious about this line? The context of that line is not a celebration of good times. It's not, a, it's not a phrase that comes in response to victory or to a particular stroke of good fortune. No, that line, that call to praise occurs in the midst of intense and sorrowful and contrite confession of sin. Just 11 verses earlier in the same psalm, the psalmist says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Uh, let me give you another example of this. Psalm 22 contains a wonderful declaration of praise where the psalmist not only praises God, but invites all others to join with him. Here's what he says. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. From reading those verses, you might think that the psalmist is experiencing a wonderful time, a moment of delivery. But actually, this is a song of lament. In fact, the opening words of this psalm are the words that Jesus famously uttered as he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you go on and read further in Psalm 22, the situation just seems to get worse and worse. The psalmist talks about feeling like a worm, not even feeling human, being mocked by all, surrounded by enemies, abandoned by God. And yet, by verse 22, this song has turned from lament to these words of celebration and a call to praise to everyone around. What does all this mean? It means that the praise of the Psalms is not dependent 
on good fortune in life. It means that the context for praise in the Psalms isn't the same as victory celebrations or graduation parties. The context for praise in the Psalms is simply life, all of life, times of joy and times of sorrow, times of good fortune and times filled with grief and lament. It's true even, in fact, of those Psalms that don't specifically identify hardship or calamity. The simple fact that they are in the Psalter, that they're in a collection surrounded by other songs, means that the broader context of praise in every Psalm of this book is the whole array of human life and experience. And the question The question that we have to ask after observing this is, how is this possible? How is it possible to praise, to celebrate amidst grief and sorrow and pain and uncertainty? As Psalm 137 itself so memorably puts it, from within the context of exile, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Now, this question, it brings me to the second observation I'd like to make about praise within the Psalter. I've talked about the context of praise. Now, let me say something briefly about the content of praise. What is it exactly that the Psalms are celebrating when they give voice to praise? And how does this explain their propensity and their ability to praise even during sorrow? The Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, he wrote a book about praise within the Psalms. And in that book, he noted that there are actually two Hebrew words for praise that are used in the Psalter. The first word, hallel, which is where we get the word hallelujah, it usually refers to a general celebration of the being of God and his great works, the magnalia dei his great works in the past. Psalm 147 is a really good example of this. It begins with that word, hallel, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then it goes on to give the content and reasoning to that call to celebration and praise. Here's what it says. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So what was the content of praise in that psalm? Did you notice? It was the being of God. It was his nature, his wisdom, his power, his compassionate love and care. And it was God's great works, his works of gathering his people, healing broken hearts, ordering and overseeing the vast expanse of creation. That is Hallel, to praise the being and the great works of God. And there's a second word that Waltke mentions, which is the word Hadot. And this too is praise, but This word tends to refer specifically to praises and thanksgivings that are given in response to particular experiences of deliverance. 
Uh, take, for instance, the ending of Psalm 30. This psalm is a testimony about a specific time of deliverance. The psalmist is writing about a specific time when he experienced deliverance in his life. And here's how that psalm ends. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, of course, these are only examples, but they do give you an idea of the content of praise in the Psalms and why it is that the psalmist can praise even in the context of great misfortune. Praise is, as I said earlier, praise is our natural response to beauty and goodness. And the praise of the Psalms is no different. They too are celebrations of beauty and goodness and grace. But here's the thing, what the Psalms recognize and what we so often miss is that even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the face of our own abject failures, there is still reason to celebrate. Not because of misfortune. No, it, if anything is clear in the Psalms, it is that death and pain and rejection and all the like, that is an evil to be lamented. The reason that the psalmists still celebrate is because the beauty and the goodness of God and the character of his past dealings with his people means that he will not leave us alone in our misery. Because of who God is, it means that ugliness and sorrow will not have the final word in our lives. The joy of the psalms is joy in the God who comes to those in need, who heals broken hearts, who turns mourning into dancing. It is joy in the God who can transform even death into life. The Psalms celebrate the fact that the God we worship is a God who brings order and beauty and goodness to the darkest and the most chaotic parts of our lives. The Psalms remember how God has done this in the past, and they rejoice because of that in how he will do it again. And that's how the Psalms teach us to see the world. And that is a reason for celebration. That is why we too can still say, whatever the context of our lives, hallelujah, praise the Lord.